It is good to be together. It is good to hear uh, the voices sing. I do want to thank you all if you uh, were praying for my wife and I as we were away on the latter half of this week. We had an opportunity to get away to enjoy a little retreat. And as is the case with my wife and I, we are both very competitive people. And so a part of this retreat is she and I finding a place to play the most competitive game of putt-putt. And we found that place, and I'm here to tell you that as the defending champion, I lost. (laughs) And so I stand before you humbled, knowing the beating I took at the hands of my wife on a putt-putt course. It was clearly providential because I've never seen her hit holes in one in my life. And on two of the courses that happened to be the hardest holes on the course, she holding one of them, both of them. Thanks. girl. Sorry, Johnny. So I thought long and hard about this and have decided that next week my wife and I need to go on another retreat so I can redeem myself and how awful I was on that course. She allowed me to come back just to make it respectable. It was really bad. But anyway, all that to say, we had a great time together. Allison, congratulations. You are the champ. I am second, first loser, and I humbly bow before your incredible ability to play putt-putt. So with that being said, it is good to see you all. I'm thankful that we are gathered together. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be looking today really at three verses, three very simple verses Uh, verses that honestly, as we read them, uh, should come as a warning to us as it came to the Corinthian Christians, but also as a word of encouragement as well. So Paul is currently really in the midst of warning uh, the believers, and that's ultimately how our passage starts here in verses 9 and 10. But what we're going to see Paul do with his word to the Corinthian Christians, he's actually going to close with a word of encouragement in verse 11. And I believe these three verses are very fitting for us today. And so what we're going to see in these three verses is a very clear and succinct and simple message that comes from Paul. And that message is found in four words that he says, and that's this, do not be deceived. And so these are the four words that I want us to hold on to together as well today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do not be deceived. And maybe the word deceived is not a word that you use. Maybe this is not a phrase that you often use to describe your life. So let me give you a different phrase that might help you remember this text this morning. And that's this phrase, don't mess this up. Now, when I think about that phrase, I am reminded of a coach that I had the privilege and opportunity to coach with, um, coach football with on Fridays. And every Friday, I remember this particular coach walking classroom to classroom, finding our players and saying this to them. It's Friday, gentlemen. Don't mess it up. He did this because he wanted them to know that even though there was a game that night to be played, Even though they had prepared and practiced all week and now they were at school on a Friday in their jerseys, hearing a lot of words of encouragement, a lot of accolades coming from their their peers and also their teachers and administration. They were in class. They could still get in trouble. They could still do something that would prevent them 
from playing that night. And it would not only hurt them as an individual, but as a player, it would hurt the team. In fact, this particular coach would meet with several of us, whether it was over breakfast or lunch on Friday, and the last thing he would say to us is this, coaches, it's Friday. Don't mess this up. I remember one particular week, he contacted a local church that we passed on the way to school, and somehow he managed to convince this particular church to put on their digital marquee that very same phrase, so that when our players drove in and our coaches drove in on a church marquee, instead of seeing scripture or an uplifting message, they read these words, it's Friday, don't mess it up. Now, I think in our text this morning, this is actually a similar word that we get from Paul, who is now speaking to the Corinthian Christians. But he's not telling them about the day of the week. He is simply saying to them in our text this morning, brothers and sisters, you are Christians now. Don't mess this up. You see, Paul in his writing is going to go from a very deep and cutting warning, a warning that we just talked about and saw a week ago, to now bringing the Corinthian Christians back up to the surface for a bit of fresh air with a little bit of warning and a little bit of encouragement before he dives deep again into more warnings with our texts that are coming on later Sundays, Lord willing. But for this morning, and for the mornings to come, Paul's message was very simple to the Corinthian Christians. Do not be deceived. So let's just go ahead and jump into our text and see what Paul wants them to not be deceived by. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me. I'm reading from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we will begin reading in verse 9. Now, once you have found your place in the Word of God, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word. Again, this is Paul writing, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, writing to the Corinthian Christians, Paul writes these words. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, this passage really acts as a continuation, or better yet, a conclusion to what Paul had just written about in the first eight verses of chapter 6. And so Paul is literally writing a conclusion for the Corinthian Christians to uh, continue their pursuit over the things that are biblical and the things that are faithful. And again, to remind you, he has just called them out on their pursuit of matters that weren't biblical nor faithful, which were the way they were now handling or responding to trivial matters. Again, we talked about this uh, this past Sunday. Now, with the weight of this moment still upon the believers, Paul now says that those who pursue wrongdoing, those who continue to pursue sin in their lives with no attempt at repentance, no attempt at Forgiveness, no attempt at seeking forgiveness or reconciliation will ultimately not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Why? Because unrepentant sin excludes them from the kingdom. Paul says, these sins that you're committing, these sins fit in with your past lifestyle than who you are today. You are still continuing to live by an old way of life. And that is not what you have been called to today. You see, since the Corinthian Christians are now in Christ, they should now be living according to the word of God and according to the grace that has been shown to them. In other words, they had been given a new way to live, and yet they were still holding on to their old lives. They were still holding on to their old ways while acknowledging the saving faith that is found in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And so in three verses, Paul says to them, it is not possible to live a double lifestyle. You cannot live a life of worship to our great God and at the same time live in the old ways of the sin that entangled you and separated you from the Lord. And so Paul writes to the Corinthian Christians and again he simply says to them, do not be deceived. So this morning, let's look at our text and see how the Corinthian Christians ultimately can overcome this deception and how we today can fight, our, from, our, fight from being deceived ourselves. So the question we're going to answer this morning, and we're going to have two answers to it, is this. How do we fight against being deceived? How do we fight against deceiving ourselves? Paul gives us two answers to that question in our text this morning. In verses 9 and 10, he simply says this, in order to fight against being deceived, do not look back. Notice how Paul opens by explaining the weight and the seriousness of this situation. In verse 9, he says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, Paul opens this way because this warning really shouldn't have been a surprise to the Corinthian Christians. They shouldn't be shocked by what it is that they are now hearing from Paul because chances are they've already heard this word before from Paul. They might have heard it while he was there with them helping to establish and plant a church. And so in saying these words in verse 9, Paul's reminding them of what he's already said back in verse 8 when he says, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. But the word that I want us to, to pay attention to in verse 9 is the word unrighteous itself. You see, that word unrighteous literally translates to wrongdoers. Chances are many of you probably have that footnote already in your Bible. You see, Paul at this point is saying that those who call themselves Christians and yet continue to live on in their old ways of living, those who continue in their old ways of sin, who continue in their ways of doing wrong, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is referencing final judgment here. Which has led people to ask this question. Does this mean that Paul is affirming that you can lose your salvation? Paul, I believe, would answer that with a resounding no. 
That is not at all what Paul is talking about here. In fact, that's not even what we're talking about this morning. You see, we believe in the perseverance of the saints. We see this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, when we read these words, and we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. You see, as believers in Christ, as Christians, those who are now in Christ, we are held by Christ. We are protected by Christ. Yes, we may deal with sin and struggle with sin. Yes, we may deal with accusations. And yes, we may deal with loss, but we still belong to Christ. I mean, we're, it's kind of like, think about Job here for a moment. In Job's story, Satan was allowed to do whatever he wanted to Job, except touch his life, and touch that which would separate him from the will of God. Notice that Satan himself could only go as far as the will of God would allow him. And what God will not allow is for our salvation to be divided from us. But you see, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying your salvation is secure. However, you cannot continue to live in Christ. You cannot continue to, to live in grace and continue in your old way of life. You see, the truth for us this morning is this. We cannot continue to engage in evil and engage in, in sin and engage of our old ways of doing things and think that we can expect some sort of final reward from God. I mean, this literally was a staple in Paul's teaching. He says the same thing to the Galatians. He says it again to the Ephesians. And so again, the goal for the Corinthian Christians was to realize that you cannot continue to give yourself over to your old way of life and then expect the inheritance of God. You know, it's interesting because John Owen, who, by the way, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to quote John Owen a lot today. So if you've not read The Mortification of Sin, you really should. And if you don't have a copy of it, let us know. We'd love to put one in your hands. But here's what John Owen says. He says, The choices believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin should also make it their business all of their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin in their lives. You see, as Christians today, we have to put to death our old ways. We have to put to death our sins. We can't say, it's Jesus and then my sins. We can't say, it's Jesus and my old way of doing things. Paul even gets specific for the Corinthian Christians in verses 9 and 10 when he gives them really a list of sins that were, that were common to them in Paul's day. And so what Paul is doing here is he's going to actually draw the Corinthian Christians to ultimately see that if you continue in your old way of doing things, if you continue in your sins, then you are either an unbeliever at this point or your life is now heading down a path of destruction if you do not correct these things. So this particular list that Paul gives is specific to the issues that are plaguing the Corinthian Christians. So let's take a look at what Paul was addressing. And again, I recognize that we have little ears in the room, so I'm going to be careful with this one, okay? 
First of all, he says this, the sexually immoral. Here was a general term for the physical immorality that goes beyond the parameters set by the word of God. The God God of the Bible has given us parameters for what relationships should look like, what marriages should look like. And yet the Corinthian Christians were saying, I can have Christ, but continue in my immorality, especially when it comes to my sexual immorality. He goes on to speak of idolaters. These are those who who place stuff and people and events above God himself. These are the ones who sit there and say that, that I have more important things to do with my life than to worship the God of the universe. And they continue to place whatever that thing is above God himself. And they think that they can worship the Lord and at the same time worship whatever this stuff is. He speaks of the adulterers. These are those who are unfaithful to their marriage vows. Those who are unfaithful to the commitment they made to their spouse in the eyes of witnesses, and not only the eyes of witnesses, but those who, but the, the, the covenant that they had made before the eyes of God himself. He then speaks of those who practice homosexuality. Now, this is interesting because the word in the Greek literally means those who are engaged with unlawful relationships, men being engaged in intimate relationships with men and women being engaged with intimate relationships with women. He takes this right out of Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 20. So for those who want to argue that homosexuality was just an issue in the Old Testament and was now covered by Christ, that is a wrong thought to have. The New Testament itself continues to speak out against homosexuality. This sin is just as wrong today as it was yesterday and as it was in the Old Testament. We then get to verse 10, and he speaks of thieves, those who steal secretly and and think they won't get caught. He goes on to talk to the the greedy, and we're not talking about just the the ones who are greedy with their wealth. So we're not just talking about a wealth issue here. No, Paul's being a little more specific with the greedy. These are the types of people that were seeking to bring to trial the trivial matters that he'd already mentioned in the previous first eight verses. These were the the greedy, were those who wanted to to destroy another person no matter the cost. They wanted to, to divide based upon their own reputation and their own standing. He then speaks of the drunkards and the revilers and the swindlers. The drunkards, pretty obvious. Don't think we need to define that one. The reviler and the swindler could also be translated to mean the slanderer. Again, I believe that one's fairly obvious here to those folks who are and and do those things. But what I want us to pay attention to is this. Paul wasn't just throwing out a list and saying that if you do any of these things just one time, then you are out. No, this list represented the blatant sins that the Corinthian Christians were continuing to commit 
day after day after day, and they were refusing to stop them or to turn away from them because they were okay with these sins. And if they weren't committing these sins, they were okay with those who were. You see, they were living a Jesus plus sin life. They had justified that in our lives, we can live in grace and yet still continue in our sin and they were okay with it. And Paul says to them, listen, if this is you and you continue down this path without seeking forgiveness, without seeking repentance, then the phrase comes up, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says this inheritance that should be yours in Christ will not be yours if you continue to look back and live your lives in sin the way you have always done. So notice that Paul was now warning the Corinthian Christians that this way of living, these, these trivial matters, these, these sins that they, were, that they were bringing up and being okay with, they were not being handled for the sake of grace and for the sake of peace and for the sake of unity. And so ultimately what these reveal about the people is that they didn't know Christ and thus they would not inherit the kingdom of God. Now again, I want to say this to you. We are all going to struggle with sin. Okay? Paul's not calling the people to be perfect. He's not calling them to look a certain way and to speak a certain way and to check things off the box. No, we're going to continue to struggle sin. What Paul is calling out here is this, is that if you think your old way of life is okay to continue in, then I want you to understand that's not okay. You see, as Christians today, we need to hear Paul's warnings. We, gotta, we, we can't lie to ourselves anymore. We can't, we can't continue to deceive ourselves into thinking, well, this sin that I'm committing, I've been doing this for 10, 15 years. And I do it in private and it's not hurting anyone. Yeah, it's hurting someone. It's hurting you. It's hurting your relationship with Christ. Some would say of their sin, well, no one knows, so why does it matter? You know. And if you're a Christian and you read the Bible, you know better. But you're not the only one that knows. Your family probably knows. Jesus Christ knows. Some would say, well, I can still be a believer and continue in, in my old ways. I can still do what the Bible calls sin. And I'm okay with that. And I'll just take that up with the Lord when I, when I stand before judgment. I can't, I can't wait to stand before judgment and talk to him about this. Paul says, you may think you're okay, but you're not. You're lying to yourself. You need to remember what you have in Christ. And now as Christians, Paul says, do not look back. You know, here's the, the beauty of Paul's writings is you get further into uh, Corinthians and the writing and you get to a passage. Paul actually circles back um, to 1 Corinthians 6 when you get into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Listen to what he says there. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He continues, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If I were underlining my Bibles at this moment or, or writing that down, I would underline the phrases, he is a new creation. 
because that's who we are in Christ. We have been given a new life. We have been given a new lease on life. We have been made new. We are a new creation before God. We're going to get to more on this in a moment. But, but the point of saying that we are a new creation is to, is to note what I would underline next, which is this. The old has passed away. In other words, the old way of doing things, our sin state that left us handcuffed and imprisoned and separated from God, it has passed away. It is dead. And the new has come. You see, as a new creation in Jesus Christ, we cannot look back and continue to live a life in the old ways. The old way we used to live. The sins that separated us from God. Those things have passed away. That's what Paul teaches. They're gone. They're done. They're dead. They're finished. But yet, here were the Corinthian Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. And what were they doing? They were digging up dead bones. They were digging up dead sins and saying, I want to continue in them. And so if our sins in our lives are not dead and we are continuing to live in the old ways, then we need to address that right now while we still have time. Because I'm going to tell you it's going to be too late when we stand in judgment. I had somebody actually argue that point with me recently, not anybody in the church, by the way, um, but somebody out in our community argued this last point, and they said, well, I'll just stand before judgment, and then I'll address these things with God, and then um, shared with them what I believe is probably the scariest passage in the Bible. This person claimed to be a professing Christian, by the way, and uh, I shared with them this passage, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So who who is inheriting the kingdom of heaven? He tells us, the one who does the will of my Father. But he doesn't just stop there. Jesus continues. And he says, and on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. Notice three different times they talk about the things they did in the name of the Lord. And Jesus says to them, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, let's just talk about Matthew chapter 7 for just a moment. Who do you think Jesus Christ is talking to here? He's talking to the believers. Wait, let me, let, me, let, me, let me change that. He's talking to the believers. He's talking to the ones who thought they were covered, but they continued in their sin. He's talking to the ones who, who were going through the motions and thought that that was all they had to do, and yet they continued to remain in a lifestyle that leads to destruction. He was talking to the ones who said, Lord, didn't we do these things in your name? The ones who, who come in and, and, and they praise the Lord and they, they talk about how great God is, but then when they leave this place, they continue in their addiction. He was talking to the ones 
We talk about how God is a God of peace. God is a God who reconciles. God is a God who fights for unity. And yet when they walk out of the church, the first thing they do is seek to divide. The first thing they do is to continue to harbor anger and bitterness and rage and malice against other people that they claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, these are the ones who say, like the man I talked to, well, I will just deal with that when I get to judgment. And let me say to you again, according to Matthew chapter 7, if you wait till that day, you are too late. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let me warn you with the words of Paul. You've got some sin that you're struggling with, something that you're not letting go of, something that has a grip on your life. Man, get it right now. Seek accountability. Get someone to pray with you, pray for you, hold, to, to hold you accountable. Get it right now. And remember, as we've been saying over the past three weeks, we want to be a church that struggles together. And so can this be a place where we struggle together? And we said, yes. And so let's struggle together. And as Paul teaches the Corinthian Christians, let's not be a people who say that we believe in Jesus Christ and continue to look back in our sin and say we still want that. Again, Paul is not saying that we can lose our salvation here. But what he is saying is this. If you think for one second that you can be saved and continue in sin with no consequence, and you're okay with that lifestyle, you may not be saved. I was challenged by the words of Dean and Sarah several years ago. And it's a word that I hold on to today. A pastor up in Tallahassee, Florida, he said this, the last great mission field in the world is the Western church. It's those who come to church on Sundays, believe that they are Christians, and yet continue in sinful lifestyles, knowing that they never believed at all. Brothers and sisters, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, This is not monopoly. Jesus is not a get-out-of-jail-free card just so we can continue to live our sinful lifestyles. That's not how that relationship works. Now, yes, God will forgive us of our sin. He will continue to forgive us of our sin again and again and again because we will struggle again. You may very well fall back into sin again and again and again, and there is grace out there. But what I'm saying to you, the same words that Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, don't think for a second that you can have Jesus Christ and then continue in a sinful lifestyle and it be okay because it is not. And what you are doing is you are now playing a very dangerous game. So we need to ask ourselves this morning, man, what are we struggling with today? What sin has you eat up? Is it lust? Is it an addiction to lust? Is it, is it bitterness and, and anger and rage? Is it doubt? Is it lies? 
Are you living a devil lifestyle, pretending to be something that you're not, and you're lying about how you're living? Paul says, get it right today. Now, I want us to move on from there. Because Paul's going to move from from teaching the Corinthian Christians to not look back to now teaching them a second step on how they, and really us today, can defend ourselves from being deceived. And here is where the word of encouragement comes from. And I hope this excites you, okay? We just hit a very heavy subject. Um, So if you're here again and you're like, wow, this pastor keeps hitting heavy stuff, it's just the Bible, man. I'm sorry. Okay? So let 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 me hit you with a word of encouragement that Paul gives the Corinthian Christians. The second thing he tells us in order to not be deceived, he first says, don't look back, but then he gives us a second way that we can handle not being deceived. Found in verse 11, he says this, look forward. Look forward. It's just that easy. I mean, after two verses focused on another warning, notice that now Paul writes to the church about who they are now in Christ Jesus, which the reality is this, verse 11 should be good news for us. I mean, if you're one of those people that underline or highlight in your Bible, this is one of those moments you should just kind of underline this thing in red. Like, this is good news. It starts out by saying this, and such were some of you. Paul literally just reminded the Corinthian Christians of their past life before Christ. These sins that Paul listed characterized who they were. But Paul's point was not who they were, but rather who they are now in Christ Jesus. So if you're making a note, verse 9 and 10 was what was. Verse 11, though in past tense, is what is. And here's what Paul says. He says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Again, these are words that we need to to underline. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I know know we talk a lot about Christianese and how some words mean some things to Christians and maybe we shouldn't use them to the world. These are three words that I think we need to bring back as Christians. The word washed, the word sanctified, and the word justified. And now I'm going to go ahead and tell you that when you read this in the original Greek, Paul wasn't just using these terms in the way that we often think about them. In fact, watch this. Paul is speaking of being washed here. He wasn't just speaking of baptism in this moment, but rather he had conversion in mind. He had the moment that we came to faith in Jesus Christ in mind. That specific moment. Kind of like the thief on the cross when he looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you're in paradise. And what does Jesus say to him? No. A little busy over here. No. He tells them, surely today you will be with me. Do you understand that as believers in Christ who have been washed, that is what Jesus says to us? Surely today you will be with me. He goes on to talk about sanctified. And by being sanctified, Paul again is not just talking about our progressive growth in holiness, which is really what sanctification is. Okay, that's why that's why as families, I believe that God gives us children so that we can continue to be sanctified on a daily basis. And we're reminded of how wretched we really are as parents, but we try not to let our kids know that. He's not just talking about that progressive growth in holiness. Rather, what he's talking about is this, the definitive status of holiness that comes at conversion. He's talking about that moment when you come to faith in Christ. And then all of a sudden, what happens is this. You're not just with Jesus. You've now been set apart by Jesus. 
Okay, think about that for a moment, okay? I tried to figure out what would that be like for us in modern terms today. It'd be kind of like going to Walmart. By the way, if you go to Walmart today, it's a sanctifying experience. It really is. It'll test your patience, your will, and your grace. All of a sudden, those chocolate chip cookies you thought you wanted, you may not want. And not because of the cookie, but here's what's happened. You're going to go stand in line. And you're not just standing in line anymore. You're standing in line to, to do your own checking out of groceries. Like, how odd is that? And then here's what Walmart has done to us. They opened up all these wonderful lines, and then what happens? You go to Walmart recently, guess what? All of them are shut down except one section. And so what are you doing? You're standing in line to check out. Check out yourself. So what does Jesus mean when he talks about being set apart, being sanctified? It's like going to Walmart, and when you walk in, they know you by name. Hello, Mr. Harvey, it is good to see you today. You go and you shop for groceries, and everything you need is there. And then you go up the checkout, and you look at the long line, and you're like, man, i got to stand here for this. My milk's going to go bad. This is not going to be a pleasant experience, but thanks be to God, I'm going to hold on. All of a sudden, they come over to you. The person, not the person in the blue vest, but the person in the gold vest, they come over to you because that person's apparently important. I don't know how that works. But they come over to you and say, Mr. Harvey, we've got your own line set up for you. And then they have someone else check out your groceries. And then you just walk out with a smile on your face. You've been set apart. It's like going to your favorite amusement park. And all of a sudden, you just got a fast pass for everything and you never have to wait anymore. You've been set apart. It's like going to your favorite restaurant. And they serve you your favorite meal as soon as you walk in. You've been set apart. But here's the beauty. None of those things compare to what it means to be set apart by Jesus Christ. So let's take stock of what Paul is reminding the Corinthian Christians of. He says to them that now, because of Christ, we are able to stand in the realm of a holy God, and not by our works, not by our words, not by our appearance, but by the atoning work of Jesus Christ, which sets us apart from the world. This is why we can say faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. Let's just finish it. I mean, really at this point, we could probably just go ahead and close and get to communion. So I don't know what else needs to be said other than praise God for the beauty of the atoning work of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who has set us apart. And then here's Paul being Paul, man. He's not just done there. Paul's going to go one step further. He doesn't just say we were washed and we were sanctified. No, he says this. He says, but you were justified. In other words, we have been declared righteous before God by the atoning work of Jesus Christ. So notice this. Paul uses three words to declare the new status that we have as believers in Christ. He says, your sins are atoned for. Your sins have been washed away. You have been cleansed. And now you have a place in the presence of our holy and great God and good news, you have been made right before Him. I mean, think about that for a moment. Think about it in 
light of what we just read in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus says, depart from me for I never knew you. Paul says, no, 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 believers in Christ. When you stand in the realm of God, when you find yourself in the kingdom of heaven, you have been set apart. And that's why you're standing there. Not only are you set apart by the atoning work of Christ, but when Christ looks upon you, He knows your name. He knows exactly who you are. That's what we have in Christ. Because of our new status in Him, we've got much to look forward to. That's why we can also affirm when the Bible says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as Paul says right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there is now no reason to look back and continue to live by our former lives. Because of who we are in Christ, there is now no place to lie, no place to cheat, no place to steal. No place to be immoral because we have been made new and clean and holy and set apart and righteous before our great God. So brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing our standing with God because of the grace that has been shown to us in Christ, can I ask this question of us this morning? Why do we even want to look back? Knowing all that we have to look forward to? Why would we even want to hold on to our sin and think it is worth it compared to knowing Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord? We need to look forward. We need to stop being deceived that life is okay with Jesus and our old ways of sin. It is not Christ has made us new, therefore let's live in the new life that he has given to us. And maybe what I just said is not very helpful for you, and I kind of wish I had the time just to read to you all of John Owen's uh, mortification of sin to you, but we would be here for a little while, okay? I mean, it would be worth it, I think, but we'd be here. We'd have to bust out a dry erase board just to put down some of the thoughts that he's given us. But if you're here today, let me give you another quote from John Owen's. It's this. Before you think about jumping back into your old way of doing things, before you think about jumping back into your sin, or maybe, maybe you have jumped back into your sin, consider these words from John Owen. He says this, Look on him whom you have pierced, and let it trouble you. Say to your soul, what have I done? What love, what mercy, what blood, what grace have I despised and trampled on? Is this how I pay back the Father for His love? Is this how I thank the Son for His blood? Is this how I respond to the Holy Spirit for His grace? I want to ask you, when was the last time you looked at your sin and spoke these words? Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are going to continue to be tempted again and again and again. And you're going to be tempted to look back and go back to the way things were. Because it will always be enticing because sin is enticing. And it's in those moments, Paul says to us, remember your salvation. Remember 
that you have been made new and righteous before our holy God. Do not be deceived. Don't look back. Only look forward to who you are in Christ. You see, as Paul warns, we cannot give ourselves over to evil repeatedly and still expect the kingdom of God. Why? Because we have a standard. We now have a standard way of living. And here's the thing. These three verses, this was not a suggestion from Paul coming to the Corinthian Christians. No, this was, a, this was imperative. This was a command that Paul was giving. And the command was simple. Don't look back. Always look forward and do not be deceived. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we won't always get it right. But we are called to live in the newness of Christ. So continue to grow in holiness. And as we continue to grow, continue to root out sin that holds us back. And if all of this fails, let me close again with another quote from John Owen. As long as your conscience is able to justify your failure, your soul will never vigorously attempt the mortification of sin. Let's be a people who put sin to death. Let's be a people who live in what we have now been given in Christ by the grace and the goodness and the mercy of our great God. Do not be deceived. Don't look back. Look forward. For you have been set apart in Christ. Let's pray together.